0: 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we get to turn this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, we've been studying the the letter that Paul wrote, probably the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, but 1 Corinthians as we have it. And he has been teaching us about the role of leaders, stewards, uh, servants, teachers, however, in the church, and how they ought to view themselves, how the church ought to view them. Also, he's taught about, or he's going to teach us this time, about what is the church and how ought we to Consider our ministry in it, and, and what are we to contribute to the life of the church? Certainly in the Corinthian time period, but also in our you know, 21st century time period, what, what are we about as a church? And the next time, Lord willing, we'll see uh, just what is this church anyway? It's not, a, it's not a club, not a social arrangement. It's not something that um, just we've put together, humanly speaking. No, this is God's intention. Verses 16 and 17, we'll see next time. But you remember when we did our introduction or getting started into the Corinthian, this correspondence with Corinth, Paul had ministered there and and all those things. But years before that, over 150 years or almost 200 years, well, 200 years before that, Corinth as a city was destroyed to the ground. It was razed. It was burned to the ground. All the men in the city were destroyed, uh, killed. All the women and children as slaves. And they go, oh, good grief, why would that happen? What would they do so wickedly and badly? Well, they got on the wrong side of Rome. And the Roman Empire was, of course, it wasn't an empire at that point, but it was it was a, a growing state. And Corinth and several other city-states in, in uh, Greece and Achaia rose up and coordinated against Rome. And Rome said no. They laid a siege to the city. They destroyed it. They burned it with fire. They just took, I mean, the full wrath of Rome in judgment upon the Corinthians because of that rebellion because they had said these things aren't right uh, you had a path to follow and that path was obeisance or or submission to Roman authority and they wouldn't do it they would have none of it and so they they sent that conflagration that's great burning which is great for archaeologists oh archaeology loves burns they love destruction because that means real life is buried in timbers and ash and, and uh, stone and all this thing. A uh, close-up image of, of uh, not the actual event, not the actual image, it was photography or whatever. This is an artist's depiction of what that looked like. Around 146 B.C., the destruction of Corinth. Notice fire. Fire was a big element of that destruction, that just elimination of the, the great city of Corinth, which wasn't then rebuilt until another 100 years later. Julius Caesar was the one who gave the order to rebuild one of the aspects of rebuilding a site like that is, well, there's not a lot of wood stuff, uh, wood buildings, you know, we, uh, wood uh, components of buildings that were used, whether the the roof or maybe some paneled uh, siding in it or uh, window frames or doors, they just don't exist. They don't last through the fire. Here is an example of some pillars, some columns that were preserved from ancient Corinth. You can see the Acropolis of the city behind there, the the high mountain, because Corinth was both a a lower city and an upper city, a lot of temples and different things all over there. But the things that remain through a fire are the substantive things, the imperishable uh, metals and uh, the the stonework and even some precious uh, gems and those kinds of things. That's what lasts. Now, gems and such would be Mind and, and removed from there by various other raiders that come in after the fact, but we see stonework still remaining. Why? Why, why are we talking about all this? Because these are the images that Paul uses in this text of First Corinthians chapter three about fire, well, about building and about fire testing the quality of one's workmanship and even the workmanship that goes into the building of of the structures, you know, whether no. or, or lodging or whatever it might be. And he says, how much more so is the building of the church important the quality that goes into it the workmanship that goes into it the the idea of of investment what are we what are we adding to this uh, to this building and how can god be honored and glorified in it he has been helping us all along here in this this chapter 3 to have right thinking about the church and our role in it, not just the first century. Now, he talked about Paul and Apollos, how they, they worked in it. We look at that back in, in uh, verses five through nine. Servanthood, apostles uh, and teachers and so forth are just servants. They don't need to have any special following, they don't need, need to have any special um, you know, party spirit, or you know, we're not going to walk around uh, wearing uh, slogans you know, I'm of Paul's party, or I'm of Apollos. That, that, that's so foolish. They're just servants. Uh, they're they're working working in the field and they they are not be uh, so celebrated and extolled that belongs to Christ that kind of devotion and honor goes to Christ. Well here in our present passage uh, verses 10 through 15 he says we all not just the leaders not just the teachers but we all need to take very much care in what we contribute to the building and recognize whatever we do contribute to the building is going to be tested it's going to be evaluated by each other? No, not so much. In fact, he's going to get to that idea in chapter four. I don't even, um, uh, it's a small thing to be examined by you, any court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. So he has that element. The one who's examining is God, which, okay, that means the stakes are raised infinitely because God knows not just what we did, but why we did it, the motives of our heart, and so forth. So we need to take very good care, great care, uh, knowing that our work, contribution to the building of the church, which is both the process and the structure. The stuff is going to be evaluated by God. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the protection and punishment as God's sanctuary. In other words, it's rather important what goes on in the church and how we consider ourselves as part of the church. Now, both as a local church, but also as the the corporate, uh, you know, universal church. We we would refer to it. This is God's sanctuary. Again, it's not a social club. It's not something that that we put together as a human. Uh, Idea. This is God's design. In fact, it's the one thing that Jesus said, I will build my church, build my church on earth. And so we need to recognize that we need to protect that sanctuary, as it's called here, and also to recognize if anybody takes any action against that church, he will be destroyed whoa this is serious God is serious about his church very much very much uh, tending to it so our servanthood mindset the the care and testing that we have and the protection and punishment the reward is right in there reward either positively or negatively Paul has been talking about here so in verse 10 chapter 3 uh, verse 10 through 15 let me read that text for us and then we'll look at it more carefully Paul says according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder I laid a foundation and another is building on it but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work uh, which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet, so as through fire. Paul used that analogy he introduced in verse nine. He says, "You are, or excuse me, we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building." He had been using a very agricultural analogy or illustration in the previous section, but now he he kind of launches into a building analogy. And so, from verse nine, he talks about a building, which can be again both the the, the process of building we would call it edifying or building up or constructing uh, versus the other idea of building is the what is actually being built is the structure the the uh, house or, or um, whatever it is and so he says you are God's field God's building he's emphasizing you belong to God not me I don't I'm just a servant I'm just a steward I'm just a farmer a planter so Paul is a water but you belong to God give your devotion to God and now he says You have a role to play in the church. And it's not just Paul. It's not just Apollos. It's not just the shepherds of the church. But each one who's in that church has a special role to play. And so he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God, uh, which was given to me. And so he talks about grace, not just saving grace, very important, very foundational, right? We must be saved, be useful to God and the the church. But he's talking specifically about a commission, a task that was entrusted to him, and that he is one who uh, has a special role to play. Not to say that other people don't have a role to play. He's going to get into that in 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, the the spiritual gifts and that every part is useful in the body. We need to build up the body and all these things. He has a special role to play as a planter, as an apostle, as one who founded uh, so many churches across uh, Asia Minor and into, into Greece and built up the church in Rome, maybe even made it to Spain. Who knows? Uh, well, I guess we'll find out in eternity how what that looked like in terms of his ministry outside of Acts. But he had a special role to play. But he says, I was given grace and I did my work and I recognize that God is going to reward and, and, uh, and do different things for me. How much more so for you? Paul says, "I am acting out fulfilling obeying god's commission to me his his task that was uh, given to me back in acts nine, even how that that came to be he de- develops this later in other places um Galatians 2, we'll read it in a few weeks when our Sunday morning readings. He says, recognizing the grace that had been given to me. And he's talking specifically about a task of being an apostle to the Gentiles. And he builds it out in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, if you heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. So it's an entrustment. It's a, it's a trust. It is a, um, a responsibility that Paul viewed very highly, very very heavily upon him to fulfill his ministry. And so he says, I was made a minister later in, in Ephesians 3. And that he says to each one of us, Ephesians 4, verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's not just saving grace. That is enabling, empowering, and uh, useful, or utilitarian, but that kind of sounds negative, Uh, useful grace for the benefit of the church. And so he says, I was given grace, listen to me, therefore. But not given, remember, in the background of Paul's mind is this kind of, burgeoning animosity that the corinthian church had against paul and it had to do somewhat with the wisdom seekers that he developed back in chapter one that they said well paul you don't give us this wisdom you're not talking like our our philosophers and the and the wisdom of this age your your message is really kind of out of step and out of out of line with what we are looking at in the world in order for us to have status and and uh, you know prestige among the world. We really have to go this way. Paul, can you come over? Paul says, no, I'm not going over there. That's foolishness According to God. I'm going to situate myself right here. I'm going to preach Christ and him crucified, which was so contrary to what the world celebrated. So he says, I have a special responsibility to play. And he says here in verse 10 again, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Again, emphasizing the fact that he had a, a rather initiatory or um, planting kind of mode in his life. He wasn't a, uh, he was an evangelist in a, in a lot of regard, not fully, but he was the one who established churches. He, he trained them up. He taught them so much in the, in the scriptures, but then he left. He wasn't a long-term pastor in, in, a, in a local congregation. He was going, again, he was a year and a half in Corinth, but that was extraordinary. Even more extraordinary is being three years in Ephesus. Other places he was not there nearly so long had a special affinity for the church in Corinth and in Ephesus of course from which he's writing this letter back to Corinth so you see the the crossover there but he says i have a special role to play as a wise master builder this idea of of as paul describes it being a wise master builder talking about a foundation talking about a building this idea is not new and in fact paul uses it throughout his writings to talk about building up the church and his responsibility there, but it's used even in philosophical discussions. Um, this uh, man Philo, where'd he go? Uh, he uh, talked about the, um, the ability or the, the need to build something and have a master builder and to have the, um, the, uh, the foundation even, the, the structure on which the thing is laid. Epictetus is another uh, contemporary, near contemporary of Paul that, that talked about this whole idea of wise master builder, foundation building. So it's a, an analogy that the people would say, oh, you're trying to talk wisdom stuff, wisdom language. Well, Paul says it's true and it's right. And he says, I am a wise building on that whole idea. People over here, they think they're wise, but they're not according to Scripture. I am the one who's acting built on God's foundation and uh, ministering in his, in his word we see that he describes himself as a master builder. This is the word in Greek, it's architect. And we think, well, architects don't build. I don't think I've ever seen an architect raise up a hammer or a saw or anything. But in that age, the architect was, again, the master builder, the one who is the the ruler. We talked about this Wednesday night. Ark, part of architect, ark is what we see in other words, like archbishop, archenemy, whatever archipelago. I don't think that's the same thing, but uh, it's, it has to do with a ruling or a head kind of person. And so he says, I'm the one who's over. I'm kind of directing the calls. We might consider it more, in our words, not so much the architect, but the general contractor who works with the architect, I suppose. But a general contractor, the chief engineer, one who is, is uh, directing other workers in different places, which you see Paul does so much. He has co-workers. He talked about Apollos being a co-worker. But when you get to, Reve- or excuse me, Romans 16, and realize what Paul, you know, so many people, you know, all these people, and you'd know them by name and by situation and by their mother and all the situation. Paul was a great organizer of people, mobilization man. So he, he says, That's how I view my work. I'm a master builder. I do it with wisdom. I'm doing it to honor God. And so we see this, this rulership aspect, the tech, tecton or tech, the tech part of that word has to do with a builder, the one who constructs stuff. And so he is the one who is, is leading in this whole thing. And he says, what did I do with, with my stewardship? I laid a foundation. Well, that's rather important. To, to, when you're going to be building a building, you need to, isn't that interesting how you can use that same word in different ways? Building a building. English. Wow, it's wonderful. I'm glad I learned it as first language. Uh, when you're doing that work, you start with a foundation. You need to get that in place properly. You need to get on solid ground, all those different analogies. He said, I laid a foundation. I put it down. It's not something that continue- needs to be continually upgraded. Once you put it down, it should be there. Now, barring you know c- catastrophe and so forth, it should be there, and then you build on top of that. He says, I did that in my first time in Corinth. I laid that foundation in the preaching of the gospel. And you can read Acts 18. What a marvelous text. Read Acts 18 about how did that all come to be and how did Apollos come in and and, uh, follow after Paul's ministry. But he says, I laid a foundation and another now is building on it, which is to be expected. Paul laid that foundation. You don't just want a foundation and that's it. Building's done. Move in. Enjoy putting your couches and your furniture and all. You don't do that. Foundation is necessary. First, but you've got to put the superstructure on it. And that's what Paul says build, so many times in Scripture, building up one another, speaking words to edify, to, to uh, uh, again, to construct, to build up this church. We, he uses the analogy of a body, Ephesians four fifteen and 16. Uh, no longer, well, anyway, he talks about the building of the body, and each person does its particular work for the building up of the body, uh, uh, building up of itself in love. So we love, we serve, we meet needs, through the course of this, but it's based on that foundation we have. And he's going to define that foundation in just a moment. But he says another is building on it, which is to be expected, right? Paul is not angry that somebody's taken over his work. No, he's very thankful, expects it. He wants that work to be done. But be careful how he does it. By the way, I don't know that he's referring here uh, to Paulus, this another person. I don't think he's referring to Apollos. Apollos had been there in Corinth right after Paul's ministry, but then he left. In fact, if you look in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, I think it is, uh, there is a phrase that Paul is describing um, Apollos coming back to Corinth because he's not there now. In fact, it's probably that Apollos is with Paul in Ephesus at the time. So anyway, he's not the one building on that foundation now. It's people in the church, people in the church in Corinth at the time that this letter is being written, which are leaders, which are just regular folks in the congregation. People are contributing and building on that foundation which Paul had laid. But he says here, each man, each person, it's not specific to to males here, it's just each person must be careful how he builds on it. The contribution we make, there's a foundation. What are you adding to this foundation? You know, if you were to add into the foundation uh, something, you know, you started building with Lego bricks instead of gold, silver, precious stones. You you said, well, I'm going to do some, I, I like Lego, it's great. And we can, man, that's a lot of Lego. But hey, it'd be delightful. Or you, you start introducing, um, you know, I'd really like to introdu- incorporate um, used automobile parts and just whatever, just into the wall. We'll just set it right there and then we'll deal with it. No, be careful what you're adding to it. Make it appropriate to the foundation. It can't be something that's totally off the wall, if you don't mind the pun. It needs to be something that fits in with the thing because there's going to be an evaluation. And it's not just a a shaking kind of an evaluation or a blow test or something. This is going to be a fire. It's going to be a fire. This is going to be a conflagration. Be careful how uh, one builds on it. He doesn't say who builds on it because we all have a responsibility to build up, edify the church. But be careful how you build. What the emphasis is on the the manner that it's done, even on the motive to some degree. You know, why are we doing this thing? Are we doing it for our own selves, um, or or not. Although you have to think of a, uh, Philippians chapter one, when people are preaching God, the gospel of Christ out of uh, enmity, trying to provoke Paul while he's in prison, and he says, "I don't care. I don't care. As long as Christ is preached, that's what I. That's what I'm about. That's why I'm in prison, and that's what that's what I want to happen." But be careful how we do it, both the the manner, the motive, and the the the, uh, the method. In other words, God has written for us what is appropriate to contribute to a local church. And we've talked about it on various occasions. And we recognize the one another commandments, so many of those, over a dozen, two dozen, one another commandments that we fulfill, forgiving, comforting, admonishing, uh, uh, confronting, rejoicing with, sorrowing with, all these different one another kind of commandments that we do, speaking the truth in love. We grow in all aspects in him. And so we're very careful how we contribute that, being diligent to do these things, because we have a foundation, a beautiful, wonderful foundation, which he's going to talk about in the next verse. And we have a great opportunity to partner with people like Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I will build my church. We can be part of that process, but be careful how he builds on it. Verse 11 says, talks about that foundation. And it says no one can lay a foundation other than the foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And this is a comfort because we don't need another foundation. If the foundation, as he says here, is Jesus Christ, we don't need to look anywhere else. He is the sufficient Savior. He is the one who answers our greatest need, and that is forgiveness from God. He is the one who established that. He's the crucified Christ after all. He's the one who died in our place. He is the one who has become, as he said back at the close of chapter 1, verse 30, he has become wisdom to us from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is that foundation. Christ is what we need, who we need. And even this, this idea, our, our foundation is not in a set of doctrines. It's not in a set of political beliefs. It's not in a set of uh, standards of you know, homeschooling or, or anything like that. We are based on Jesus. That is our bedrock. That is our foundation. That is where we rest. And everything that is built on top of that needs to fit and, and coordinate and cooperate with who Jesus is, his person and his works. He says, no one can lay a foundation. It's not to say that people haven't tried. Can you imagine how many people have tried to lay a foundation other than Jesus? Or maybe it's Jesus and. Well, Jesus and nothing. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. You, it's like air and, and uh, air. You need to add more to air. Just just breathe. Just enjoy what God has provided. And that's a poor analogy, so never mind that. But Jesus is the one, our sufficient, uh, fully satisfactory foundation. Don't need to augment. Don't need to add on to it. Uh, And even we do that sometimes. We add on to a house. We have another foundation and so forth. But he is the sufficient. He can carry everything upon himself. We don't need to say, well, you know, Christ is good for this part of my life, the salvation, the spiritual stuff. But over here, I need some other help over here. And I'm going to, you know, sink my roots deep and build a foundation over on this other stuff. Wait a minute. You don't need another foundation, and not just for the church, I mean, just yes, for the church, but for our personal lives. Christ is that foundation, and not just the truth about Christ, but Christ Himself. In other words, when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, talking about the crown that He expects and so forth, He says, "That's also for those who love His appearing. Well, I love His appearing because of all the stuff I can get. No, you love His appearing because He's coming, Christ is coming. He's the Savior. He is the one that we long for. He is the one that our whole lives are built upon. Christ is that foundation to love the person, not the, the gifts that he brings, not the privileges, not the connections with other people, but Christ himself. He is who we're about. And that's, again, Paul is directing the, peop- the, the troublemakers in Corinth, don't be so fixated on people on this earth, Paul and Apollos and does it. Be focused on God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the proper ministry of the Holy Spirit. He'll get to that later in, in his letter. So he says, no one, no one, again, not to say that people haven't tried, but no one can do this thing. Uh, building up a foundation other than the one which is laid. Jesus is that one who has been set down. He is the one who's in place right now. And it's the message of a crucified Christ. What has he done for us? What is he about? And why why is it so important again? Jesus said, I'll build my church, as Matthew 16 and verse 18 he says that, uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 20 says, the church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we think, well, wait a minute. I thought Christ was the foundation. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the most significant aspect uh, or element of that foundation, which is attested to by the apostles and prophets. Apostles are just eyewitnesses of Jesus, his resurrection, and the prophets foretold and, and speak of what uh, Christ is accomplishing. There's so one more, I'm push in the envelope a little bit more, if the foundation is Jesus Christ, could we rightly base our whole identity as a church upon wonderful people with faults and flaws and errors, like Martin Luther? We appreciate his role in the in the church reformation. What about John Calvin? What about more contemporary uh, preachers, radio preachers, or personalities, or, or past preachers, or present preachers? And we say, "Well, I'm I'm of this this congregation or this mindset." What about folks outside of what we might? feel comfortable discussing and rightly so that is a church built on the teachings of a guy like Joseph Smith why not Church of Latter Day Saints it must be something good given praise to no it's not it's entirely false gospel or something like a Mary Baker Eddy with uh, Christian science and these I mean that is a whole system based on the foundation of somebody something not or somebody not Jesus Christ and again just be careful there's a foundation it's Christ Don't seek to get anything else. Don't seek to exalt some servant, some farmer going out there, some builder, even a master, um, a wise master builder, as he says here. Give honor to Christ. Now, he focuses on our specific work, our contribution to this whole idea. The foundation is Christ, but we have a responsibility to build in this congregation. Again, the the local church, but also the larger uh, universal church. I think his reference here specifically on the Corinthian church. And he says, look, if anyone builds, and the expectation is, of course, you're going to build. But be careful how you build. If anyone builds on the foundation, and they lists a bunch of things. And you could look at this a lot of different ways and say we're, we're going in a descending scale of value, which is true. We'll go from gold, silver. Gold is the historically the most valued metal, valued element uh, of, all, of all time. Silver is a close second. And you start with something so valuable and then go to silver and precious stones, which can be both uh, uh, structural elements, but also gems, uh, diamonds, those kinds of precious uh, uh, stones. And then it kind of changes category, things from going from uh, inorganic to organic elements. That is uh, wood, uh, even though there might be... Anyway, that's wood and hay and straw. Wood, which is a good, a good building material, not so much... well. They used it in the first century, used it in previous centuries to, before that. But stone was much more accessible, available, and durable. Uh, so wood is useful. But then starting to use hay, which is just grass. The, this word is grass, just the, the grass of the field and so forth. And then straw, which is dead grass. You cut off the good part, and then you have the straw. What are you going to do with that? Now, you can make bricks, right, mud bricks. It's all about the the uh, Israelites in, or well, the sons of Israel in Egypt, you know, had to go out and find their own straw to make their mud bricks. But I don't think this is even mud bricks. This is just straw. So you're going from gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, or stubble. As we might have it translated. I don't think he's really emphasizing the idea of the, the descending value, even though that's obvious here, descending value. But he is emphasizing the fact that there are some of these elements which are imperishable and some that are perishable. There are some that will last through a fire, and some other things are going to be burned up. That's the analogy. That's the, the lesson that he builds uh, in these subsequent verses. And so if anyone builds on the foundation with these different, these uh, precious stones, these this gold and, and silver and the other, other things, um, just know that your work is going to be tested. Your contribution is going to be evaluated not by each other. I mean, yes, we we like to cast judgment on one another and say, "Well, you shouldn't have, you should have done it that way," or How, "You know, what what were you thinking with that?" And we we do that, and some can, it can be helpful, and we want to challenge and provoke one another under love and good deeds. But sometimes we miss the mark. We don't we don't appreciate what they did or the motive, or we question things. But God is not confused. God is not hoodwinked. He's not. Uh, you know, we can't stonewall him, if you don't mind, again, the building analogy. He is the one who knows exactly what's going on. The, again, the motive of why we did it, the method that we used, the manner that we used it, uh, the, the intention or the, 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 what we were wanting out of it. And he says, you're off base. You, you didn't, I mean, yes, you contributed. It was, hey, maybe wood, but definitely it was, it was perishable, combustible material. You should have done it this way. You should have contributed in a more lasting kind of fashion. Be careful how we do these. The, this list of materials, by the way, also, especially the gold, silver, precious stones, has to do in relation to rather palatial buildings, both uh, King Ahasuerus' building back in Esther, um, chapter 1, I think it was, where it describes these different uh, stones and, and um, either precious stones, probably in that context is Esther chapter 1, verse 6, has a pavement of porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Also has to do with describing the temple, temple of God under Solomon, and how he built it. And this is this is perhaps an interesting idea with not just the gems, not just the diamond kind of nice stuff like that, but actually large precious stones of building materials. First Kings chapter seven, not talking about the temple, but talking about Solomon's personal residence. He says all these. Uh, things that he talks about 1st Kings chapter 7 verse 9 all these things were precious stones of stone cut according to measure sawed with saws which you don't do with gems you you don't use saws to cut those things you use other material other manner but it, this is this is limestone most likely limestone is very prevalent in Judean in, uh, in hill country but if they sawed with saws inside and outside even from the foundation to the coping and so on the outside of the great court foundation was of precious stones even large stones stones of 10 cubits which is 15 feet or so and stones of eight cubits, so, I mean, 12 feet. So it's, wow, these are big, not gems, these are big things. Above were precious stones, stone cutting to a measure, and cedar, and talks about all the different courtyard cut stone and different things. So it's not just gems. It is the, the what we saw with the pillars, the things that last after a fire and even after an earthquake. And he says, be careful that what you contribute to that congregation, to that body, to that building, will last for a long time. Well, how are we going to know what that is? Well, we have a saying around here. We say we minister the word of God. That's Ministering the word of God, speaking the word of God, and not uh, as Paul said earlier in chapter 3, not getting so much in a party spirit where we are just acting like babes. Saved babies, but babes, just mortal human-mindedness that is not advancing. We become uh, full of discord and dissension and and uh, uh, thinking of myself, you know, puffed up. He talks about later, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so being very careful to think less of myself and more of other people and being very diligent then to speak God's word. Do you think, well, I don't know what to say. Read God's word. Speak God's word. Bring God's word to that moment of need, of that time of rejoicing. You know, Direct the glory back to God. Bring God's comfort right down to that situation. Ministering God's word. Because bringing in... Uh, philosophy, or I think, or my opinion is this: Nah, wood hay stubble. That might be helpful. Might be look good. It might be whatever. But in terms of a lasting impact upon other people in the congregation, we want to make sure we share God's word. Share it lovingly. Share it with purpose and and uh, deliberate intention. But share that word nonetheless. He says, if anyone builds, which everybody does, contributing one or another. Which, by the way, everyone is a theologian, not just Christians. Every Person in this world is a theologian, has an understanding or some kind of set of beliefs about who God is. Even if they say there is no God, well, that's that's being a theologian, maybe an off theologian, but but somebody who who has a definite set of doctrines about God. We also are counselors. We are those who extol what we think is right and denigrate or demean that which we think is evil or bad or or substandard. And so we're all theologians. We're all counselors. The question is how sound is our theology, how sound is our counsel, how based upon the, the the foundation of Christ Jesus is our teaching, our word. We want to be very careful to build on the right foundation with what is the proper building material, and that is God's word. He says here, each man's work will become evident. Oh man, I thought we were gonna, you know, I thought this was a group project and we could all just kind of get in together. Each man's individual work. Remember how he said it back in uh, verse 8, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You think, Oh, you mean I have to do something after all? I thought, you know, I'm part of a great church, but I, would, I just wish that, you know, God judges each person. What are you doing to build up? How are you building up on this congregation, uh, uh, the church at large even? Each man's work will become evident. And we say, Oh, but I thought, you know, I thought I painted over it pretty well. It looks like gold, right? It's not gold. All that glitters is not gold. And so we want to be careful to have that review in mind. Each man's work will become evident. It is something that uh, the phrase, time will tell. And we see this a lot of times in Scripture. Even, for example, uh, 1 Timothy 5, talking about appointing uh, further elders, pastors, overseers for the church, he says uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 24 and 25, the sins of some men are quite evident. Here's our word evident going before them to judgment. In other words, you look at a person, you know, oh, that's not the right person because it's quite evident. For others, their sins or their inadequacies or just their issues, they follow after. So sometimes it's obvious that's not a right pick. Other times, boy, time will tell, in other words. And also good works are quite evident and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. And so again, time will tell. The proof is in the pudding. Uh, And this is even an eschatological or end times kind of reference. Sometimes the review, the, the final testing and analysis has not, does not occur in our lifetime. Maybe it occurs later after somebody has died, and you can think of some examples uh, of that where the person presented all through their ministry was this, but then we found out after they died, that mm, it was, it wasn't the whole story. It became evident. Well, how much more so? When Christ comes and he judges righteously, and he judges the thoughts and intents of our heart, whoa, each man's work will become evident. Uh, we want to make sure that we are prepared for that final review. And again, thankfully, and he mentions it here, for Christians, it's not a final review of you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, but it is a review of reward. It is a review of of, uh, as he says here, um, that, where am I here? Uh, he says, uh, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire, verse fifteen. So there is there's no question of of the salvation, but definitely, you're going to smell the smoke as as you come through there. That's why you want to build with that imperishable stuff that he uh, presents here in verse, verse 12. Be very careful of what we are building on or building with. Each man's work will become evident, he says. Why? Verse 13. For the day will indicate it. What day are we talking about? We're talking about Sunday when we get together and we can look at each other. No, do you know Sundays are probably, I, maybe I'm overstating it, but one of the most deceitful days of the week. You think, oh. Did you just say that? Because we come and we're all dressed up and we have the churchy face on and we talk spiritual stuff and we are hiding behind that sometimes. I'm not saying everybody, but as one person said, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person beside you or behind you. It's just we all can do that. We can all hide behind things that and things are just falling apart in our lives. Or or maybe we have this great news that we're too embarrassed to share because we don't want to sound like we're Share life with one another and and speak and, and engage Sunday can be very deceptive, very deceitful, and we need to have authentic relationships, talking with each other and and, uh, asking for prayer. It's not like we are perfect uh, and we've uh, got it all figured out. We need help, and so we need to help one another. Anyway, the day is not just a Sunday. The day is when Christ comes, that day, the the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of Christ appearing, the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, the day that there is going to be review. And... Even the great white throne judgment, but even before that, the Bema judgment for Christians, I think that's what he's referring to here, that day will indicate what is going on when Christ comes to judge and to separate, uh, uh, well, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, that's the great white throne kind of thing, but the the Bema evaluation of rewards and what's going on. The day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire. Now the question comes, um, what's revealed with fire? Is it the day or the works? And it can go either way. I would probably tend toward the idea that this is the um, the day. The day is coming when Christ will be revealed with fire. Remember how it talks about the flaming sword or the flaming angels. Uh, the, the Christ will come in in a, a fire of glory. He's, Malachi even talked about this: Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a smelter's fire and like fuller's soap. He's going to refine us. He's going to have this fire in his coming to evaluate everything according to that uh, kind of a test. Uh, Fire, as it is described here, is both a purifying agent, let's talk about that, uh, purifying uh, different materials, even in the course of talking about leprosy back in Numbers, talks about using a fire. Uh, Everything that cannot stand the fire shall pass through water, but fire should cause some purity, and that has to do with the refining process. But also, probably predominantly, fire is used as a testing uh, and judgment, either testing and reward or testing and then uh, destruction. Uh, and so much in scripture is describing that. Uh, glory, uh, under his glory, a fire will be killed it, kindled it like a burning flame, Isaiah 10 says. And other places, again, where fire comes. Remember how fire destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus even said... Um, well, on that day, Lot went out from Sodom, and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. That was a destruction. That was a condemnation, because they were tested and found wanting. It says here, the fire—excuse me—the day is revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And it's—it's it's the the nature, it's the essence of that of that work. It is that uh, contribution, that durability of the building material we use, and the contribution we make to the church. He says the, t- the test will test the quality, the fire will test the quality of each man's work, each individual one. And then he gives two situations here in verse 5- 14 and 15, and we'll be done here. Verse 14 says, Positively, if any man's work which he's built on it remains after the fire, understood, he'll receive a reward. Okay, so there's one situation, one possible outcome. The fire comes, sweeps through the whole thing. If any man's work, any man, woman, boy, girl, in relation to the church, if that work, that that uh, participation, that offering, that uh, par- participation partnership in that work remains good, but after a fire, can you imagine? I mean, if things, if a fire were to sweep through this building, uh, I don't know how much. Well, thankfully, there's a lot of open space, but uh, I mean, there's some metal uh, structural members, but a lot of this stuff is going to be burned up. The chairs. Uh, hopefully we will evacuate, by the way, exit doors in the rear. But if, if fire were st- was to come, we would see what was durable, what was permanent, what was lasting. If any man's work which he's built on it remains after that fire, that conflagration going on, he'll receive a reward. I think, well, I don't deserve a reward. I'm not doing, I'm not contributing anything out of my own self. It's God's word. It's God's power. It's God's spirit. To God only is the one who can make changes in, in my life and other people's life. It's a gracious gift. Of course you don't deserve it. It's the whole point. Give glory to God. Give thanks to God. But do your work. And even God is so gracious, not just to, to save us and to bring us into his presence and heap on us every blessing. I'm going to give you a reward. What's a reward? Well, in other places, he talks about uh, a crown of righteousness, First Timothy 4. He talks about that. A, a, um, later in, in 1 Corinthians 9, he's going to talk about a corruptible crown that athletes go after in the Corinthians or Isthmian games. But he says, we are pursuing an incorruptible uh, uh, crown or or, um, laurel kind of wreath on your head. He says, we are looking for that reward based on obedience to God's message. It's not anything that we deserve in ourselves, but partnering and just, just doing what God said. Do you know, isn't that wonderful? Just doing what God said, God will say, well done. It's not even the extent to which we do it because God gives different platforms to different people. You know, I'm just this person or I'm just this person. I have different uh, capabilities and different uh, audiences or however you want to say it. But God says, well done. You fulfilled what I wanted you to do. Ephesians 2.10. Who's the one who made all these works for us to do? God. When did He do it? After he knew what we were like? No. Before the foundation of the world. He created these things beforehand that we should just— just walk in them, just do what he's entrusted to us to do, do our part and leave the results to God, he will receive reward if our work is appropriate to the foundation. It's built on what, what God has said. A contrasting example, though, in verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, hmm, well, that's a frustration thing, isn't it? That's a disappointment. I thought this would last. I thought, you know, my, my car parts or my, my Lego bricks would last and, and this whole thing. No. No. Even if you meant well, you, you weren't using the right materials. You weren't doing it in the proper way. How you build is very important. If any man's work is burned up, again, any man's contribution, any man's uh, labor and, and uh, uh, thing is going on and it is consumed by fire. There's an interesting thing in English language. I don't know if it's in other languages, too. Where we talk about burning up and burning down. You ever use those different things? And we, It was burned up or it was burned down. And it, What's that about? I'm not going to get into it, but it's, it's not there anymore. It's gone. Or maybe there is something back, but well, if something was remained, right, you're in the first category, first example. Now your your work is totally gone. You're going to suffer loss, obviously. There's going to be uh, not just the the um, loss, the abandonment of what you had contributed to the church. It's, it's not there anymore. Like a huge hole is there. But also there is part of that suffering loss is uh, punishment or shame or a penalty that is applied. And even in a building, uh, you know, a house or, or building construction model, there are different penalties that apply. If, if a contractor doesn't do something and so many, you know, by whatever time period or according to the standards, and there's a penalty, maybe a discount or, or something that's going to be applied. Paul says, yeah, if, if your part burned up, you're going to suffer loss yourself and probably have a penalty, a fine, A shameful kind of situation going on. Jesus said, Matthew 16, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This idea of loss, of suffering loss, and a shameful thing. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? We want to be very careful to recognize, wow, something is at stake. Not eternal salvation, but this, this idea of, of rewards. You're going to suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Uh, another way to understand that is is he, he's saved. There's no question about that, no question, because the salvation is not dependent upon our works. It's based on Christ's work. So will be saved because of what Christ has done. He crucified Christ. But you'll be saved through fire. You will be refined. There's, there's not going to be an expectation of reward for you, and you think, that's fine. I just i just want to worship the Lord Christ. I want to have a relationship with him. I don't care about the rewards. just want to know him. Well, that's good, because that's all you have. And it's not like that's all I have. You, all you have is Christ, uh, that is sufficient. But He wants to heap on these blessings, these rewards to people. You'll be saved yet, so as through fire, as saved by the skin of your teeth, saved and you're rescued at the last moment, uh, like a brand that is, is snatched from the fire. This is the idea here, and so Paul is is making a a statement about what is this church and how ought we to conduct our lives or to think about our ministry or contribution to this to this church. I would I should mention. This talk of fire and judgment and the ability even here in this verse, uh, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. This is really the, the one verse that our Roman Catholic uh, friends will appeal to as justification for their idea of purgatory, this idea. Suffer loss, he himself will be saved, so is through fire. It's not talking about salvation. It's not talking about that idea that there is a purgatory that we need to uh, endure and, and be refined in that regard. No, it's our contribution to it that that we will be saved yet uh, so as uh, through fire. And it doesn't even talk so much about um, eternal security of a believer. Yes, that's that, that's assumed, but it's not really advanced in this in this uh, in this context. It's talking about our partnership, our work, how we view our responsibility in the church, and we need to be careful how we contribute how we build on this thing be intentional we all are playing a role we all are speaking we're all here this morning and so we need to be careful Hmm, i'm coming here to serve i'm not coming you know what did i get out of this message today what did i get out of this this worship you know i didn't put a fire in my belly or whatever how did you serve how did you build up what kind of materials have you brought to the table to build up this this congregation not numerically god's going to take care of that but but maturely uh, spiritually in our in our lives, what, how do we see God at work? How are we building each other up on our most holy faith, which is centered, founded on the Lord Jesus Christ, honoring him? I mean, we can honor, we can love one another, but honor ultimately goes to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us and gave himself for us. Give our devotion to him, speak his word to another, and look for his reward. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your message, grateful for your uh, reality, your truth. It's not like there are multiple realities or multiple truths, but your truth is the thing. Help us to live our lives individually before you in that regard, but also to be very careful how we build, on how we contribute, how we work in this congregation and in the church at large. Please help us to speak your truth. Please help us to be totally given over to your perspective on things. It's so easy to go after the things of the world and try to fit in and and try to be uh, to make an appeal to the world, and yet your word changes lives. It changes our perspective. It is the only lasting and true foundation upon which we can build our lives and build our identity. Please help us to be faithful to you until the end. We pray that your fire of purification, your fire of judgment even, would come soon. Uh, if And if judgment has already come uh, to the household of God, then whoa, what's going to happen to unbelievers? Your judgment is right and just, and we rejoice in your holiness. We rejoice in your righteousness, but wow, it really... Makes us even more thankful for Jesus who died in our place and took the penalty of our sin upon himself so that we can be free from that. No fear of judgment, no condemnation before you, but only of your grace upon our lives. We pray that you would save and sanctify each one here for your good pleasure. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.